0: The National Association of State-Controlled Substance Authorities, or NASCA, is providing this podcast as a service to its members, associate members, and others. But it is neither a legal interpretation nor a statement of NASCA policy. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by the NASCA Association. Views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by the NASCA podcast host are those of the podcast host and do not necessarily reflect the view of NASCA or any of its officials. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our office at nasca.org. Welcome to the official podcast of NASCA, the National Association of State-Controlled Substance Authorities. Here you will find conversations, lectures, and thoughts on various topics involving controlled substances, leading experts sharing their knowledge and ideas on today's medications, dangerous drugs, and substance abuse. NASCA is an association of state government agencies, along with various stakeholders, who oversee controlled substances. Through this association, we work together to make our country, our world, a safer place. Welcome to the program, and thank you for being here. I'm your host, Alan McGill. I'm here with Libby Bainey. She is the representative, or I guess she's worked with the Alliance for Safe Online Pharmacies for quite a few years. I had first heard Libby speak at a NASCA conference. I think it was back in 2015, I want to say, or 2016. I remember her uh, giving us a lecture there. And that was probably the first time I had actually heard about online or fake pharmacies. And so I'm excited to have you on the show. Thank you for being here.
1: Great. Thanks for having me, Ellen. I'm glad you remembered that talk.
0: Yeah, it was, it was great. And so what I wanted to do uh, is discuss all your your work there with Safe Online Pharmacies. But before we get into that, maybe you could just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about the alliance.
1: Thank you. Of course. So I, I'm currently in our Washington office of Faegre Drinker Law Firm, where I serve as a partner in the government affairs and regulatory practice, I'm supporting the Alliance for Safe Online Pharmacies nonprofit and the ASAP Global Foundation, another separate nonprofit. For the last about 15 years, since we founded ASOP in 2009, and I've been able to both be a partner at the law firm and support the alliance's work for that for that period of time in our DC office. And it brings me globally because the internet is global. So uh, while I say I'm here in Washington, our offices we have offices around the world and do a lot of work with stakeholders, including law enforcement and healthcare regulators and patient advocacy organizations and legitimate manufacturers and pharmacies across the globe to try to protect patients from illegal online drug sales. And we'll get into this, Alan, but that problem has only increased since I started this work in 2009. ASAP Global's origin story was recognizing that the internet would be potentially a very positive place for patients to access medicines, but also a very dangerous place for patients where criminals could take advantage of the opacity and international nature of the internet and Lure patients into buying dangerous substances, including controlled substances, but also other counterfeit or, or substandard prescription drugs. And those, those fears and the opportunity of the internet has only um, evidenced itself in the pandemic. And we could talk about the trends that we're seeing in the alliances work and, and how we have to continue to try to stop illegal online drug sales.
0: Yeah, this is, you know, it's interesting because, you know, in the work that I do now with the attorney general's office in Pennsylvania, we actually have a program on online pharmacies, fake online pharmacies that mostly we talk about with seniors. But of course, as you know, we've seen this with kids as well, buying mm-hmm. fake medications uh, such as, you know, the Ryan hate act and, and yeah. those sort of things that came from that. But maybe you could talk about like how much you're seeing right now, compared to what you saw when you started, how many fake online pharmacies and how prevalent it is.
1: Thanks. Yeah. The issue only continues to grow is the short story. So in 2009, Alan, you and I and others were really worried about illegal online sales of controlled substances. And you mentioned the Ryan Hyde Act, which was was passed in response to illegal online sales of controlled substances, where a young man died of taking taking an overdosing on drugs that he bought online. That problem of illegal controlled substance sales online continues to persist, and and we can talk more about the data there. In addition to the website-based problem, we now, since 2009, have seen an explosion of social media, illegal online sales, as well as illegal sales in online marketplaces. And when I talk about illegal sales, I'm going to define that term for us as a lawyer. One, sales of prescription drugs without a prescription if it's just an order form and this is where it gets muddy with telemedicine and i could get into some of the weeds there but you know a a prescription drug sold without a legitimate doctor patient relationship without a valid prescription is a red flag or or violation number 1 sales of controlled or sales of drugs that are misbranded adulterated substandard counterfeit diverted controlled substances without compliance with the law. So sort of regulatory violations of the nature that endanger public health and safety, counterfeit drugs, as I mentioned. And then, of course, sales of prescription drugs by unlicensed entities. As you know, Alan, pharmacies in the United States have to be licensed both in the state where the patient is located, so here in Washington, D.C., and where they are located. So they need to be have licensure in the state where the patient's located Unfortunately, you see many illegal online drug sellers saying, well, I'm licensed in some foreign country, and so therefore I can ship to you. That is not consistent with how um, pharmacy practice works in the United States and and puts patients at risk for for buying from unlicensed sellers without the benefit of regulatory oversight. So big three, sales of prescription drugs without a valid prescription, sales of misbranded, adulterated, substandard, diverted products, and sales of drugs without the regulatory pharmacy license in the state where the patient's located, and that problem, those three big violations have been consistently the problem and and the the threat that puts patients at risk for illegal online drug sellers since I've been involved in this and since really the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy back in 1999. Can you think? Can you believe that started the uh, started an online pharmacy verification program and so. You know, some version of public health and safety have been working on this issue since at least 1999, and and probably you know other states and, and entities were thinking about this before then. But from 1999 to today, the problem has persisted with those big three violations. The application of those three, big three violations is either on websites, as you and I have discussed, or on social media or on online marketplaces, and the demographic that that illegal drug sellers are targeting. The types of risks associated with buying in different channels and the public policy or legal solution to to cracking down on those dangerous drug sales vary by those verticals, websites, social media and online marketplaces.
0: Let's let me talk about the first point that you brought up, because I think it's a good one, especially for seniors or anybody else. It really doesn't matter. I guess I, I keep going back to seniors just because that's the most prevalent group that I address with this issue. But of course, it affects teens and anybody else. But one of the things you said was the doctor-patient relationship, which is important, right? That's the first part. Mm-hmm. And what we see, and I'm sure you see this too, is and maybe you can just talk about this a little bit more, is how an individual will contact what appears to be a legitimate pharmacy online because the website looks great and it looks legitimate. They'll get an interaction with somebody. And the very first thing they'll say is, you know, or they'll question about, can I get my doctor to prescribe this, and I'll buy it through you? And one of the red flags that I've noticed is, of course, that they'll say, "Well, no, we have a doctor here, and yeah. we'll contact you know I'll have him talk to you or she talk to you, and then they do that." So maybe you could address that in the terms of what is a doctor-patient relationship, because mm-hmm. that's sometimes a sticking point for prosecutors as well as as law enforcement. Is what, how do you establish that?
1: Oh gosh, that's a great question, Alan, and I the rise of legitimate telemedicine has created muddy lines for folks like yourself who are trying to see the bright lines to distinguish between a legitimate doctor patient relationship and uh I'll call it a you know non-legal term quack in the box or or a fake doctor behind a screen someplace that's merely um you know authorizing prescriptions without doing a, a comprehensive medical evaluation that would establish this under the standard of care this really gets back to the standard of care at state under state law, and the a doctor assuming you have a you have to have a real doctor, and so Doctor Bainey in this case is behind a screen, and Doctor Bainey has to be able to collect enough information from the patient to do a medical evaluation consistent with the standard of care, and the standard of care is based in local pharmacy practice and depending on the type of you know condition, and so there's lots of elements. Case law for defining standard of care is very deep, but the primary element is, can the doctor establish a patient relationship remotely, whether that's via synchronous technology, so you and I talking simultaneously back and forth via webcam or, you know, real-time chat, or it can be an asynchronous communication where I send in a photo of my, you know, my, my rash, the doctor reviews it, I send in my information, I tell you how long it's been, I fill out some paperwork, and then Dr. Bainey, at some point at his or her leisure. Can look at that information and make in a medical evaluation based on the data provided by the patient. Those are very, those are forms of legitimate telemedicine, asynchronous and synchronous telemedicine. And state law, the majority of state law allows for both types of that, the doctor patient relationship and establishing a patient doctor relationship via telemedicine. And that is those laws have changed substantially in the pandemic for good reason, right? everybody was getting healthcare from however they could. The asynchronous or asynchronous telehealth for a very good period of time there, and and part of my work when I go back to my had a fakery drinker is representing a lot of legitimate telemedicine companies, and I spend you know a couple hours a day helping telemedicine comp- companies and their pharmacy operations be in compliance with the state laws that I'm discussing and the federal laws that over that sit on top of that. And so there's a great world in which telemedicine is very helpful. But to your point, Alan, it can create complexity for prosecutors or for law enforcement trying to distinguish between, is this a rogue, illegitimate online pharmacy or telemedicine operation that is merely a pill mill clicking through forms and not establishing a doctor-patient relationship consistent mm-hmm. with the standard care? Or is it good practice of medicine? And there's case law both at the state and the federal level that could help you parse through that, but it is, as you could know, facts and circumstances dependent. And the better, the the easier thing to look at is like, do they require, is there a doctor on site? Are they selling FDA approved drugs? Are they licensed in the state where the patient's are at Those are some of the big obvious red flags, but as you drill into it from a prosecutor perspective, you are really have to unpack how is the doctor-patient relationship being established and is that consistent with the standard of care and does it or does it look and feel like it may be a pill mill model? In which case, you're you're thinking about other authorities and ways to investigate.
0: So, if a patient, for example, let's take it from that perspective, is now made that contact and they get faced with that, what are the red flags that the patient needs to understand or know yeah. and say, "This isn't a legitimate operation."
1: Yeah, I'm going to give you an easy way to do it: is verify before you buy. At safe.pharmacy. That's the National Association of Boards of Pharmacies. I'll call it handy dandy toolkit safe.pharmacy where patients can verify the source of their telemedicine or pharmacy interaction before they use the site. It has a, you can type in the name of an entity in the safe.pharmacy tool and it will allow you to verify. LegitScript also has a similar tool where patients can proactively verify before they buy. That really is the only way. Those two entities, both LegitScript and the National Association of Board of pharmacy, uh, boards of pharmacy, they proactively accredit telemedicine and online pharmacies and do that checking for you, but the underlying, does it have a real doctor? Are the doctors licensed? Are they selling FDA-approved medicine? Are they Is the pharmacy licensed? Does the pharmacy have regulatory violations? All the diligence that, frankly, patients can't do themselves with any real ability, that the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy, safe.pharmacy or Legitscript have done that for you. And that is what I tell my family. That is what I tell my friends. That is our message because it's really easy to be online and have indicia of legitimacy seals and website verifications and, you know, logos and claims of legitimacy. Don't mean anything to patients. You can hide and on the internet, you can claim a lot of things. I mean, I could be Mickey Mouse for all you know online. And so it's really important to verify before you buy at safe.pharmacy or at legit script.
0: When, when patients want to have their own prescriber send in the prescription, how does that play into determining whether if they don't go to the, the place you recommended the National Association right. of Board of Pharmacy, if they don't go there to double check it and They asked, I want to have my doctor will send a prescription to you. Does that Mm -hmm. play any role in verifying whether or not it's legitimate?
1: Well, in my experience, it is less. There, I guess there's less illegal online, fewer illegal online drug sellers that are interested in taking a legitimate doctor's prescription and have a mechanism for receiving it, or even if they, but assuming that I'll say patient Allen. Has a great doctor that you've always seen in there in your state and you have a prescription, but you want to transfer it to an online quote, an online pharmacy because it looks cheaper and it maybe says it's Canadian or it says it's, you know, save $15 a month or $100 a month. That type of interaction, you still need to verify the pharmacy before you use it. And there is no other way. I mean, the, the doctor, I imagine if your doctor's transferring your prescription may not be. And in our experience and through our research, doctors are not verifying for you your dispenser. And so as the patient, if you're directing your prescription to a dispenser, a pharmacy online or offline, it is the, the buck stops with you to verify that the pharmacy is licensed and selling safe medicine. And the way that you do that is through safe.pharmacy or Script.
0: The other thing, and we're, we're talking about, you know, just medications in general, this isn't just about the narcotics or controlled substances. We're talking about all medications in this instance, correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, while patients could try to do their own diligence, and I'm not going to say that there's, that they can't. I mean, there, it's not the only way to verify is through legit script and NBP. Um, it is an easy, easy way to do so. But if patients wanted to spend time doing the regulatory checking that is required to make sure that you're working with a licensed pharmacy selling safe medicines, of course you can do that yourself. That said, your point is, is exactly right, Alan. It's not just controlled substances that we need to be thinking about online. It's also, you know, maintenance medicines or medicines for acute conditions. Um, There's a research by University of California, San Diego, uh, a couple of years ago, um, reflecting on the illegal sales or of antibiotics online and the dangers that are associated with buying substandard antibiotics from illegal online drug sellers. I mean, imagine getting an antibiotic that's been sitting in a warehouse or has expired or has less than the active pharmaceutical ingredient that you need that just exacerbates your own infection, but also the global problem of antibiotic resistance. And so buying quality medicines, whether controlled substances or standard prescription drugs for any therapeutic area is really important for public health. It's important for your personal health. It's really important for public health. And it's unfortunately very easy to to sell substandard or counterfeit or diverted products through illegal online drug channels in search social and online marketplace, which is, you know, comes back to our our big problem of how do we stop that through prosecution, education, and, and hopefully consumer awareness. Three major things to look out for. Make sure that you establish there's a legitimate doctor-patient relationship, and that can be done via telehealth, but it needs to be, you need to be working with a Licensed doctor in the state where the patient's located and the patient needs to have a exam, whether virtual or in person, consistent with the standard of care. And there's lots of case law about how to establish a doctor patient relationship. But first doctor patient relationship to that results in a valid prescription. Also case law on that. Two sales of prescription drugs compliant with U.S. law. So selling FDA approved drugs to patients. So not selling substandard, counterfeit, diverted, misbranded products. So the things that say, you know, it's Health Canada approved or it's the Indian generic version we'll ship to you. Those are major red flags in the United States. Our our safety is dependent on our supply chain and our supply chain relies on on compliance with law. That includes FDA law and state law, which requires sales of FDA approved medicines to to patients. So sales of safe FDA approved medicines, not counterfeit diverted substandard medicines. And then third is making sure that the entity that you're working with or buying from is licensed in the state where the patient's located. It's an actual pharmacy actually licensed where the patient is resides. And so in my case, I would need to have a pharmacy that is um, regulated by the state board of pharmacy here in Virginia and um, is a compliant with those laws. And the best way to check if any of, if all three of those things are being complied with is to verify before you buy at safe.pharmacy or at Legitscript. You can do your own verification, but the simple way to do it is to verify before you buy it, safe.pharmacy or Legitscript.
0: We talked about this a little bit, but I just wanted to get some basic numbers, I guess, because I've seen it bounce around a little bit over the years, but I think I read a recent one that 97% of the online pharmacies are fake. Uh, Yeah. What number are you actually seeing or now?
1: Thanks for asking about scale of the problem and I'll talk about this in two ways. One is what do we see consumers doing and what is the actual marketplace? When we come to the marketplace, it's about nine, it, it's rough numbers because the internet is fluid, but 95 to 96% of online pharmacies operating at any one time are non-compliant with U.S. law, meaning they violate one of those big three or some other violation, but usually one of those big three. And so the vast majority, well plus 95%, of websites selling prescription drugs to Americans are non-compliant or out or are putting patients at risk. That means trying to find a website that is compliant is like finding a needle in a haystack. I mean, you're, the search engine doesn't always lead you to the best result. Just because it's on social media doesn't mean that it's legitimate. And these are sort of common messages that the Alliance for Safe Online Pharmacies tries to convey, but it is hard to break through that noise. And so Again, we get back to, you have to verify before you buy and take your, your safety into your own hands because you can't just trust that the algorithms will ship, will get you to the right place that is compliant with, with the laws. The other thing that we've noticed, Alan, about scope is there's a large increase of patients not understanding this problem, which gets to the, which is helpful for criminals and terrible for public health. I mean, if it's easy to have websites selling drugs illegally, it's very easy to sell drugs and too easy in, in the Alliance's opinion to sell drugs illegally through social media channels and online marketplaces. There's lots of laws and policies we could talk about that are needed to solve those problems, but the current state of play is it's hard for patients to distinguish. And we found that less than 5% of Americans actually know how to tell. Is it a legitimate online pharmacy or telemedicine website? Or is it a illegal or dangerous place to buy drugs for my, for my health? And The less than 5% is a consistent statistic over time, despite interventions and education. So our work at ASAP Global Foundation is to partner with the people like L.A. County Sheriff's Office and Department of Homeland Security and Crime Stoppers and the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy and others to put public service announcements into the world, which we hope will educate people about verify before you buy and how to buy, how to protect your own health because right now sadly less than five percent of Americans know how to do that people believe and this is based on our research through the foundation that they can distinguish sites Americans the vast majority of Americans believe that the if it's at the top of search results it must be safe and legitimate that is also not true or if they find it in social media they can trust it also not true you know there's lots of myths in American patients minds about illegal online drug sales and I'll, I'll give some credit to people. I mean, we trust the internet for so much. If I search what's the capital of the United States, I will get the right answer. And so if I type in, you know, compute what is how many pounds are in a kilogram, I will get the right answer. When I search buy cancer medicine cheaply, I don't get the right answer. Um, I may get some options and some may be licensed pharmacies. Some may be legitimate telehealth companies and some may not. And that's our, we have trained our brains both pre pandemic and certainly during the pandemic to rely on the computer in our hand for so much information. And we forget that it's not right when it comes to public health. We have to protect ourselves by verifying before we buy.
0: How much of the supplement industry is involved in this too? Or don't you deal with that? The reason I'm asking is because. Kratom is something that comes up all the time with me and it's not regulated by anybody. It shows up in truck stops and, you know, smoke shops and everything else. And then it also shows up as a supplement in pill form.
1: We are seeing lots of drugs laced with controlled substances or synthetic substances or even, you know, an intoxicating cannabinoids and we could talk about the regulatory complexity that creates from a food drug cosmetic act and control substance act perspective. And, but you're right to be observant that things sold on, there's lots of different types of products sold online, not just a prescription drug that is intended for therapeutic benefit, but also other types of dangerous substances, kratom, you know, intoxicating cannabinoids or, you know, cannabinoid products that are marketed as one like a CBD product that maybe have intoxicated cannabinoids, THC, or other drug substances in it. And that's another hot topic that I, I spend time on is continue to work on regulation and safety of the cannabinoid market, which is exploding in the States, as you well know. In addition, you see other types of, I'll call them claim supplement type products or cl- products claimed to supplements that have drug ingredients in them, active pharmaceutical ingredients in them, making them a drug. That's been a long, a long problem as well. And FDA warning letters and have, you know, there's, there's lots of FDA warning letters warning patients about that. But from a, from a patient perspective, it comes back to you like, what can I trust when I buy on the internet? And the answer is you really have to know your source when you're buying because the supply chain is our safety. And if you're buying something that claims to be, you know, for treatment and cure of something, and it's not an FDA approved drug, you're just not going to get what what you're paying for. And it could put your health at risk.
0: This has been a great discussion. I really appreciate all the information. Of course, I'd love to have you back. I hope you'll come back. I know there's some things in the work we want to talk about that we can't talk about right now. So I'm going to tease the audience and say, when that is resolved. You know, we'll be able to come back and talk about that. So I hope you'll be willing to do that.
1: I will, of that. course, Alan. Well, there's much going on. I mean, our partnerships at the Alliance for Safe Online Pharmacies, I, I hope are wide and deep. I appreciated longstanding partnerships with, with NASCA, of course, and NABP and the FDA and, and the regulatory community and the law enforcement community that is part of the solution. And, you know, the, the ASAP's a nonprofit organization founded with the mission to protect patients from illegal online drug sales, but without any actual authority you all in in the controlled substance um, enforcement community and the regulatory community can help a lot by bringing this issue to the public. So thank you for this podcast and also for your continued education of the older American population. This is also a youth problem. We want to enforce some of this because we have to use enforcement as as a tool to stop criminal behavior. But unfortunately, as as I mentioned with HSI yesterday, we can't enforce our way out of the problem. It's, big enough that we all have to tackle it together and so thank you and and the NASCA community for being part of the solution and doing what you can with the authorities that you can to try, help bring justice to patients and and put criminals on at least on the back foot that are using the internet to put patients at risk and violate us laws that could endanger us all and i do think it's a it is a global problem so our work will remain to be global as as the internet is everywhere And I appreciate the both the domestic and international collaborations that the Alliance has forged over the last 15 years to try to continue to solve this problem. Well,
0: thank you very much for being here and and have a, have a great summer.
1: Uh, Thank you. You too, Alan. I appreciate you.
0: The executive board of NASCA and the education committee would like to thank you for joining us. The music for this podcast was provided by Joseph McDade. And if you like Joe's music, please visit josephmcdade.com. You can support Joe on Patreon. You can also find all of our episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever podcasts can be found. I also want to thank our platinum, gold, and silver sponsors. Without them, we could not provide educational opportunities such as this podcast. NASCA also invites you to join us at our annual training conference where we educate through networking, exchange of ideas, and by experiencing some of the best speakers on current topics and trends involving controlled substances. To learn more about NASCA, our conferences and educational programs, visit our website, NASCSA.org. That's NASCA.org. I hope you learned something and moved forward. Please join us again on our next
1: podcast.